This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Psalm 121, Psalm 121, as we continue our study. We began last week through the Psalms of Ascent. Those are Psalm 120 all the way through 134, and we're going to be here starting last week and all the way through uh, really the end of the summer, all the way up until August, and excited about what the Lord has in store for us there. If you are ever asked to give testimony in a court of law... You're going to be required to take an oath. And one of the things you're going to say in that oath is you're going to say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now those three little words right in the middle, the whole truth, are really important words. And they're added there because it's possible to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, but not tell the whole truth. And the whole truth makes a difference. Let's just, you know, imagine, for instance, and obviously I'm a pastor, so this would never happen, but let's just imagine there was an argument between the kids in my home, okay? Just totally making this up out of nowhere. And uh, let's just imagine somebody comes and says, Dad, she hit me, okay? And say, well, is that true? Yes, that's true. Is that nothing but the truth? That's nothing but the truth. Yes, she hit me, okay? What was happening the moments before that hit? Well, what do, you, what do you mean? Like like the seconds right before that hit, what was happening? Well, I got on top of the couch and came off the top of the couch with an atomic elbow and then sat on her head and uh, just sat there for a little bit. That's what happened right before the hit. That's the whole truth. And it makes a difference, does it? The, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think sometimes in our, I would say, honest, maybe loving desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ, for them to give their life to Jesus, it might be possible for us to give the truth, and nothing but the truth, but not the whole truth. And not out of deceit in any way, but out of genuineness, out of love, out of desire, we might say, let me tell you the truth, but we might not give the whole truth. It could be that we say, listen, I need you to say this prayer after me, but neglect to tell them that the decision to become a Christian is a decision to follow Jesus for your life. It is a lifelong commitment to say, I'm choosing by faith, by the grace of God, to trust and follow Jesus Christ with my life. We might not give the whole truth that that journey of following Jesus throughout our life can oftentimes be a, a difficult journey. There can be trouble on that journey. There can be the normal trouble of life, and then there can be some extra trouble of life. Meaning, we have the normal stuff of just living in a broken world, and believers are not immune to the brokenness of the world. We're broken people. We live in a broken world, which means we struggle with broken relationships. We struggle with broken health. We get sick. We get injured. We get hurt. We die. We have conflict. We do stupid things. Other people do stupid stuff to us. It's just a broken world. We live in a very difficult, complicated, and broken world. 
And a believer doesn't step out of that when he comes to know Jesus. No, he still lives in a broken world. And so all of those broken things are reality. But there's also some extra trouble for those who know Jesus. I mean, when you make that decision to be a follower of Christ, what you're saying is, I am choosing to be a stranger and an exile, as 1 Peter 2 says, in this world. I'm choosing not to have my heart here, my affections here, my treasures here, my desires here. I am going to live life in this world for another world. I believe, Hebrews 11, that there is a greater home and I am living for that greater home. I believe there's something better. And then as our minds begin to be transformed into the image of Christ, we begin to think more biblically, we start to realize that our views on marriage and sexuality and morality and just life in general are not the same as the values of the world. And then we just start to look weird. And even if that wasn't enough, we're also then called in a gracious and kind way, in a loving way to talk about it. So it'd be one thing if we could just believe this and not say anything to anyone else, but we're called to talk about the truth of God's word and the way in which God intended for life to be which means that as a follower of Christ, there will be just the normal trouble and then maybe even some extra trouble. <laughs> so the question is, why would anyone want to come to Jesus, right? I mean, then what is our presentation of the gospel? What, what is the good news? Well, the good news is this, is that yes, you still have the presence of trouble, but when you come to Jesus, you also get the presence of God. You see, we were created for God. We were created to know God. Our lives were created to exist in a relationship with God and all of the grace and all of the kindness and all of the hope and all of the peace and all of the life only comes to the one who knows God through trusting Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fountain of living water. Our souls are only refreshed when we come to him. Our broken lives are only put back together with him. He alone is the sole satisfying reality of all of life. What that means is this, is in this world, you are guaranteed the presence of trouble. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are also guaranteed the presence of God. And that's really good news. And that's the point of Psalm 121. The point of Psalm 21 is that yes, there is trouble, but there's also the presence of God every moment of the journey. If you look at Psalm 121, it begins there with those words, a, a song of ascent. And we introduced that last week. These are the songs that were sung by the people of God as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. And so these really have been known as pilgrim songs. And we are pilgrims, although we are not making the journey up the mountain to the hill of the Lord, Mount Zion or Jerusalem. These exist for us, this is very important, as a metaphor for our journey into the presence of God. We believe that we find all of life in the presence of God. We believe that things only come to make sense in the presence of God. Our vision as a church is to lead you to experience and to know and to enjoy the presence of God. Everything flows from there. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 24 says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Meaning, the cry of every heart is to be in the presence of God. And so these songs of ascent really teach us how to do that. All 15 of them kind of lead us in this journey very practically. How do we walk with Jesus and follow him into God's presence? And the journey begins as we saw last week in Psalm 120. 
Psalm 120, the psalmist wakes up one day and realizes he's surrounded by liars. And the reason he's surrounded by, surrounded by liars is because he's believed the lie that there is some better life apart from God and he's chosen to follow that way and he woke up one day and realized that he was lied to. And life is not good. He, as the prodigal son does, come to his senses. And he says at the end of Psalm 120, I just want peace. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. He says, I just want peace. This world is chaotic. And God, I just want your peace. I want the peace of God, the shalom of God to come and dwell inside of my heart. And so what he does, in the midst of that distress, Psalm 120 verse 1, he calls on the Lord. He says, Lord, would you save me from this? I want you, I want your peace. Listen, the journey has to begin with a moment like that. Some of you need to have a moment like that this morning. Some of you have come to the reality that there is no good life apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the best of all possible lives in this broken world. And you're miserable, and you've walked in sin, and you believe the lie, and your life is completely falling apart. And the answer in that moment is to do exactly what Psalm 120 says. In your distress, you call upon the name of the Lord, listen, and he saves you. You trust Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sin. You choose by faith to receive him as your Savior and Lord, and you begin the journey with him. And it's at that moment when you feel trapped and you're longing for salvation, God saves you. And then Psalm 121 tells us the next step. Now listen, this is really significant. Because if life was only about saying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart and then forgetting about him for the rest of your life, the songs of ascent would just have Psalm 120. We'd be done. You got trouble, call upon the Lord, he saves you. But that's the first of 15 Psalms. There's 14 more, meaning just by the existence of these Psalms, that that moment in which we give our life to Jesus is the first moment of a journey that we take towards Jesus the rest of our life and all the way into eternity. In Psalm 121, the author is choosing Jesus, not just for eternity, but for today. Look at what he says in Psalm 121. If you're there, say amen. It says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so we begin our journey. We choose to trust Christ. Some of you have already done that. Some of you may need to do it this morning. You say, okay, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And then in those first moments, you look at the journey ahead because this is a metaphor and we look to the hills of looking at the journey of following Jesus Christ. And if you're honest, you might say, God, I'm not sure I can do that. I don't know how I'm gonna leave this world. I don't know how I'm gonna overcome these sins. I don't know how I'm gonna overcome temptation. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this brokenness. And something about the journey feels really overwhelming. If you felt that, that's exactly how you should feel. You should look at the reality of the life ahead as a believer and say, my goodness, 
I'm not sure I can do that. And the psalmist feels that way. I'm looking to the hills. I need some help. How am I going to make it faithful until the end? And then he makes a very, very important decision. He makes a decision to look to the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. What that means is the first decision you make is to look to Jesus to save you from your sins. And the next decision you make is to look to Jesus every single day. What that means, listen, is Jesus is not just good news for your eternity. He's good news for your present. He's not just good news for what you have way out there. He's good news for what you need today. He's not just saving you from your sin and from death and from hell. He's saving you today. The good news is for every single day. And right here at the beginning of the journey, the psalmist comes to understand that and say, listen, I've chosen Jesus for eternity, but I'm choosing Jesus today. That's every day of our life. Every day of our life, we get up and we say, I choose Jesus. Where does my help come from today? Well, I'm looking to Jesus. The one who made heaven and earth is the one I'm choosing. I'm looking to him. My help comes from the Lord. So he makes this decision. I'm trusting Jesus for my life and I'm trusting Jesus today. In the midst of trouble that I know is going to come, Jesus promised it in John 16. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble. When we have it, we choose to look to the Lord for today. But then look at what happens in verse three. Something changes. Verses one and two are in the first person. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, verse three, he moves to the second person. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in. So who's he talking to? Well, I think given the context of Psalm 121 and right here, the personal journey of learning how to follow Jesus Christ and given the context of the Psalm as a whole, what is often normal when you have a moment like this is to believe that the psalmist is talking to himself. He's talking to himself. Psalm 43, why so downcast, O my soul? What's the psalmist doing? Well, his soul is feeling sad. His soul is feeling down. And so what does he do? He says, soul, what's going on with you? Why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? And then he talks to himself, put your hope in God. The psalmist does this over and over and over again. And this is what happens right here. Because sometimes we have to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. You know, Psalm 120, one of the reasons that this individual wanted to be saved is because he had been surrounded by liars. He believed the lies. You know, sometimes the greatest liar in your life is you. Sometimes the greatest enemy in your life is that little voice in your head that is not speaking the truth, that may be formed by your past, it may be from the enemy that says you're never gonna make it, God's not gonna take care of you, God's never gonna fulfill his purpose for you, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, you've done too much bad stuff in your life, God will never forgive you. If anyone found out about your life, they'd never love you again, it's just lie after lie after lie. And it is in the midst of those lies in which we have to learn to stop listening to that voice 
which no matter where it comes from is ultimately demonic. And instead of that, take those lies and begin to tell ourselves what we know is true. It's why you need this every day. Because every day you're getting lied to. Not just from the world, but from your own self. There, there, there are these broken recordings in your mind that'll tell you the same lies every day for most of your life and they will not stop until you tell them the truth. And sometimes you gotta tell the truth to the same lie for your whole life. What a stronghold is, it's a lie that you believe and then it kind of sets up a fortress around your heart and it's hard to penetrate it and we take down a stronghold through the truth of God's word. That's what we do. So what's happening here is I'm looking at my life ahead and I'm going, God, I don't know if I can do this and this seems overwhelming. I don't know how I'm gonna take this journey, how I'm gonna be faithful. As all of those questions start to come, he begins to talk to himself and tell himself what is true. And what we get here is what you need to tell yourself on the journey, in the midst of the difficulties, and in the face of every trouble, we talk to ourselves. And what we have here is exactly what we say. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to write this down. The Lord is always guarding me. <laughs> That's what we say. We face troubles, insecurities, doubts, lies. The first thing we say is the Lord is always guarding me. I get that from the most often used word in Psalm 121. You might have noticed as we read it, it is the word keep. When you're studying a passage like this, you look for those kind of words. And if you notice something's repeated over and over, well, then it helps you understand at least the feel of the text. What it says here is that he will not let your foot be moved. Verse three, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in. If there's any word that summarizes this chapter, it's that the Lord is our keeper. That word keep means to watch, to protect, to keep something safe. If you're at a restaurant and there's someone beside you and they, they say, hey, listen, would you mind? I'm going to the restroom. I've got my computer and stuff here. Would you watch it for a minute? They're not asking you to watch it as someone comes and takes it and leaves with it. That's not what they're asking you. Now, granted, they just said the word watch. And so they could come back and they say, where's my stuff? And you say, well, I watched it all the way out the door. That's all you said. All you did is ask me to watch it. And I did it. Well, that's not what they mean. And you know that. What they mean is, would you make sure that no one takes this? That's what this means. To keep means to watch, to ensure that nothing happens to something or nothing happens to someone. And what this is saying is the Lord is watching you. I love the way the message translate it. It says that the Lord here is your guardian. That's what it means by keeping. He's got your back. He's, he's guarding you. He is watching over you. He is never unattentive. There is never a moment in which he is not guarding you and your life. When I was a kid, I was really scared. Uh, my mom and brother are here. They can attest to this. I was just a really scared kid and I was terrified at night and terrified of the dark and one of the things my mom taught me is to just say Psalm 56.3 over and over and over again. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee, KJV. What time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. What time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. 
I went to bed hundreds of nights and said a thousand times what time I'm afraid I would trust in thee. And I remember thinking to my mom, like, mom, that doesn't help. Like, I, that, I know you say, just say a Bible verse. And now what's funny is we say that to our kids and they're like, it doesn't help. But I will tell you this, looking back, we say, get a drink of water, say a Bible verse. You know, you have these things you just say. Looking back, it helped. And it, it put that, that idea deep inside of my mind. And listen, even though I could have never articulated this when I was five or six or seven years old, what I was saying when I said, I trust in thee, is that I was believing that the Lord was my guardian. What I was saying is that I could go to sleep at night because the monsters in the closet and the bad guys outside and the robbers and the monsters under my bed were not gonna get me. Why? Because I was guarded by the Lord. That's what I was saying. When I'm afraid, I trust in the one who has made a promise to guard me. Now, just the presence of this promise shows us the potential that these kind of feelings are gonna be a reality in our life. There is going to be a moment in your life in which you think that God has forgotten you. There's gonna be a moment in your life in which you think that God has gone to sleep. And so in Psalm 42, verse nine, the psalmist says, God, why have you forgotten me? That's honest, isn't it? In Psalm 44, he comes back and he says this, verse 23, awake, O Lord, from your sleep. This is the psalmist saying, it's obvious you've forgotten me. It's obvious you've gone to sleep because I'm not hearing anything. I'm not receiving anything. God, it is clear to me that you have gone to sleep. Let me say, first of all, it's okay to say that to the Lord. God really meets us in those honest moments. God, I think you've gone to sleep. God, I, I think you've forgotten me. But it is in those moments and we have the assurance of Psalm 121, which reminds us that God is never unattentive and he is always guarding us. And we go to verse three where he says, he will not let your foot be moved. What does that mean? He's watching every step. He's ordaining every step. There is no step you take that is not ordained by the Lord. There is no step, no matter how big that step, no matter how small that step, in which the Lord is not watching you. Psalm 23 says it this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a reality, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. There is some comfort in the presence of God, not just because he's present, but because you know he's guarding you. I'm gonna be really vulnerable with you uh, this morning. Uh, when I was a kid and I was really scared, one of the things that would always help me and I would always ask is that uh, my mom would sit outside my door when I go to sleep. Now, I don't do this anymore. I stopped this three or four years ago, but... I'd say, mom, would you just sit outside the door? And I think my, my dad used to always just say this thing. You can never repay your mother, even if she didn't do much for you for how much she's done for you. I just think about my sweet mom over here sitting outside my door when I went to sleep at night. And here's the funny part of that. Like, what, what was my mom gonna do if a bad guy came in? Like, she didn't know jujitsu. I don't know. Like, now she's got mama bear stuff and that's super powerful. Like, that's superhuman stuff. So maybe that. But in my mind, it wasn't that there was protection there as much as her presence comforted me. Her presence made me feel safe. 
So what the psalmist is saying here is, God, when I'm afraid and when I don't know how I'm going to make it, and when I'm finding myself in deep trouble, I'm comforted by your presence. But here, it is not simply that he is present, but he is present and he is watching and guarding and protecting every single step of the way. And so we come to those moments when we think he's forgotten us. And we know that the Lord, even when we are asleep, he does not sleep because he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. His eyes never get heavy. When you're asleep, he's still watching. When you can't protect yourself, he's protecting you. There is never a moment in which he is unattentive to you, watching every step, guarding you. So we say to ourselves in our greatest fears, in the darkness of the night, the Lord is always guarding me. But there's another one. The Lord is always sustaining me. The Lord is always guarding me. We also say to ourselves, the Lord is always sustaining me. I just thought a lot about this this week in terms of when I was a kid, fear was the big thing. Like fear of the dark and being afraid of what was going to happen at night and running and jumping in my bed because of something under there, like all that stuff. You know, as you get older, you don't stop fearing. Your fears just get a little more sophisticated. I don't know if that's true. They just change. We still have fears. And I think my fear is more exposed in this second one now in adulthood than it was in the first one because this second one answers the question, will God always take care of everything that I need? Will he provide for me? Will he provide for my kids? Like from now to the end of my life, am I gonna have what I need? Like that's a real and legitimate fear in adulthood. And it transitions to this idea that the Lord is always gonna sustain me because look at what it says in verse five. The Lord is your keeper. It's present tense right now, not far away. Right now, the Lord is your keeper and the Lord is your shade on your right hand. I put by the word shade there, kindness. Because something about that feels very kind to me. Because they were on a physical journey to the presence of the Lord, through the mountains. They were afraid of the, the real dangers of robbers and wild animals and uh, the sun and the moon and all the dangers in the day and in the night. They were feeling this. And in that, they remember that the Lord has made a promise to shade you, to refresh you. I think about Jonah in his rebellious heart with his massive dysfunction, running from God, even when he obeyed God with a bad attitude, at the very end of the book of Jonah, God gave him some shade. That wasn't necessary. It's just a kindness of the Lord. It's just a kindness of God that he refreshes our souls. Again, Psalm 23, that he gives us shade. And this is what he's saying. I'm confident that in this journey, the Lord will give me shade. He will be at my right hand, Psalm 16. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. So I stand with confidence and know that there's provision from the Lord. Look what it says next. Verse eight, six, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. There were two worries that people had. The first was the worry of the sun giving you a heat stroke, exhausting you. You can't go any further because of the heat of the sun. There was also a fear of the moon that in the night, you might go crazy. This is really the idea in which we get our word lunatic. 
Luna is the Latin word for moon. A lunatic is someone who goes crazy at night. That's what a lunatic is. And so there's something here that says there's really some fears we have in the day, but there's also some distinct fears we have in the night. That makes sense to me. Because what is the time in which anxiety and depression seem to come to you the most? Night. You can be fine all day and then you get to the bed and it just comes crashing down. They affect you in different ways, but they affect you in the bed because anxiety doesn't let you go to sleep and depression doesn't want to wake up. So he's saying, whether it be the fears that I have in the day of, of the sun coming down on me, of exhaustion, or whether it be the fears that come at night, the emotional struggles you have at night, what he's saying is this, this is the promise of sufficient grace for every physical, spiritual, financial, listen, and emotional need you have. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is because we are emotional beings. God is an emotional God. And the Psalms allows you and gives you the freedom to pour out your heart to God and say, God, I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm worried, I'm terrified. And God doesn't disregard those emotions. He says, I wanna be present in those emotions. So listen, we don't make light of the emotional struggles we have. We just make much of the sufficiency of God in the midst of them. And you can't conquer the anxiety unless you call it what it is. And you can't conquer the depression unless you call it what it is. But what he's saying here is that God is sufficient for you in those things. He's there in the day and he's there in the night sustaining you every night, every day, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. God has everything you need. And so we say when we look at trouble, the Lord is always guarding me. We call it our fears, our anxieties about the future. We say the Lord is always sustaining me. And there's one more in the last two verses. We also say this, the Lord is always fulfilling his purpose for me. The Lord is always fulfilling his purpose for me. Look at verse seven. Let me just, let's just be honest and say this is a hard verse. The Psalms do this to us a good bit. This is a hard verse because it says this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Have you ever known someone you believed to be a real follower of Jesus Christ and yet have something terrible and evil happen to them? Have you ever known a believer that lost their life, a believer that had a tragedy, a believer that lost a loved one, a believer that was abused? A believer that was assaulted when some form of, of evil has come upon them. Well, what do you do with that? I mean, do you say, well, maybe they weren't an authentic believer and that's why it happened. You can get some bad theology there. Or maybe you say, well, the, the word of God is not true. Well, we got nothing. Let's go home. But it still says this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So what do we do with that? What we do we recognize the presence of trouble in the life of a believer in a broken world and at the same time, the absolute guarantee of victory. We sing about it, we believe it, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no matter what the trouble is, even if it is the trouble of death, that we have victory over that. So what he's saying is this, the Lord will keep you. Listen, he will keep evil from prevailing over you. He will keep evil from winning over you. He will guard your life. 
The Lord will guard your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore from this moment to your last moment every day, whether you're going or coming, no matter what, every step you take, the Lord will ensure that evil does not prevail over you. You are guaranteed the victory in Jesus Christ. This is Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. What does that mean? It means nothing comes to you without going through the Lord first. And he has promised to fulfill his purposes in you. And the moment in which you breathe your last breath is the moment in which God has fulfilled all of his earthly purposes for you and is taking you on to greater glory. No one will thwart the plan of God for your life. God has a good and sovereign plan over your life. He will ensure that you make it safely home and no evil will prevail. You could write these down in your Bible. This is the Old Testament version of Philippians 1.16. He who began a good work in you, Psalm 120, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, Psalm 121. God began a good work in you. He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the Old Testament version of John 10. Jesus knows his sheep. He calls them by name and he doesn't lose one. It's the Old Testament version of Romans chapter 8. The God who justifies you is the God who will sanctify you. And he is the one who will glorify you. And he will ensure that all things in your life are working together for your good and his glory. And he's not just playing defense like, oh no, something bad happened. Let me work that out. God is sovereign over your life. He is fulfilling every purpose for you. And this is why we sing in that familiar song we often sing, no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand because God will fulfill his purpose for you and then he'll take you home so here's the truth and nothing but the truth and the whole truth so help me God in this life, you are guaranteed the presence of trouble. But if you know Jesus Christ, in this life, you are guaranteed the presence of God. And life is hard and we are frail and we are insecure and we're afraid. We have all kinds of things that are coming at us all the time, things that are in our own heart. We all struggle, but in every step of the journey, we remind ourselves that our God is guarding us. He is sustaining us. He is filling his purposes for us. And our responsibility is to keep walking, to keep trusting day by day, moment by moment, calling out the lies, replacing them with the truth, living faithfully with the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is sufficient for every single moment until he takes you home. And you do it today, and if the Lord wills and wakes you up, you do it tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. This is the journey with Jesus. Listen, and it's good. It's good. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.